Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Thanks for joining us in the room and online this morning. Uh, I don't think any of us listening today would argue that 19 months ago, our worlds got a little smaller with all the shutdowns that happened at the start of the pandemic. And once we got over the initial shock of all the cancellations and closures, we had some extra space in our calendars. We had to figure out what we were going to do with. For some of us, I was one of those, we chose to binge series and movies on Netflix and Hulu and Apple TV. Some of us got lost in rabbit holes on TikTok and Instagram. A lot of us took up a new hobby. We may have revisited an old hobby and restarted it. And for, if statistics are anything, <laughs> quite a few of us did home remodeling projects during the shutdown. The truth is that our freed up time offered us a unique opportunity. When almost everything was closed or canceled, it offered us the opportunity to adjust our priorities. And as we did, I think we started to realize how we spent our time before the pandemic may not be the way we choose to spend our time after. And some of the things that were pushed out of our life really needed to be. They didn't have a whole lot of meaning, but some of them, they were really meaningful to us, and they were pushed away. And one of the casualties of that was our ability to serve in the church and in the community. We had scores of people in ministries, scores of people who were on ministry teams that were making a very real difference in our church, in our community, and in our world pre-pandemic. And many of those volunteer roles simply weren't possible in the shutdown. Like many churches and nonprofit organizations, we saw an immediate drop in the number of people who were volunteering on a regular basis. And 19 months later, most of those nonprofits, most of those churches, including Westridge, still have not recovered. This reboot begs us to consider the question, are the pandemic shifts in our priorities helping me live out my faith in real and tangible ways, or are the shifts simply allowing me to drift downstream with the culture? The Bible teaches us over and over again that our faith, what we believe about Jesus and about our life with him, should profoundly change how we serve, how we love, and how we care for others. And there are lots of passages we could dig into this morning, but I've just chosen one. We're going to work through it verse by verse. It's Romans chapter 12, the first nine verses. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul does this deep dive into theology. It's all about the foundations of our faith. But starting with chapter 12, he gets very tactical and practical with the difference our faith should make in how we spend our lives. And he starts with this idea of why we serve. In Romans 12.1, Paul says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So Paul dives right into the primary question of our day, why do we serve? Scientific and sociological studies 
have given us some interesting answers to the question why we serve. One of the most interesting ones that I found in my research was what's called the helper's high. When we serve others, our bodies react to that by releasing endorphins into our body, which boost our mood and boost our self-esteem. It's why we feel so good after we serve. We get this emotional buzz from helping other people. And sometimes we serve because we're hooked on what that feeling means to us. Beyond that, other studies tell us that serving others will build our own resilience. If we're actively engaged in serving other people on a consistent basis, we adapt better to the stress and the adversity we experience in our own lives. When we come face-to-face with someone who's facing an insurmountable struggle and we're able to help them, it gives us fresh perspectives on our own struggles. It normalizes struggle. It's okay. Maybe the most important data point is this, and I probably should have just led with this one. People who serve others live longer. It's true. Studies have proven that if you serve regularly, consistently, even if it's as little as 25 hours a year, the mortality rate in those people is 22% lower than the rest of the population. Isn't that fascinating? Now, Paul doesn't go down any of those tracks. Those are all benefits that God's wired into our bodies. Paul simply says this. He says, for believers, gratitude is why we serve. He says, I plead to you to give your bodies to God, to serve because of all God has done for you. A deep sense of gratitude will move our faith beyond something that's merely intellectual or beyond something that's merely emotional. A profound sense of gratitude moves us to serve others tangibly, physically, with literal skin in the game. Paul says that's the point where our worship becomes more than something we do on a Sunday. Worship becomes a way of life. And then he spells out what this means. Verse 2, he writes, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Paul uses a very specific Greek word there for world. He says to the Romans and to us, don't copy this era. Literally, don't copy this time period that you're living in. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, I read that, and there's part of me that just goes, there's got to be an easier way, because it's really hard to change the way I think. It's harder in my 60s than it was in my 30s to change the way I think. And every one of us has learned specific ways to think and believe, and those impact our behavior. They're deeply embedded in our character, and that's why change is so hard. In fact, Paul emphasizes how difficult it is by using the word metamorphose for transform. It's literally the word we use to describe going from one physical shape to another. It's a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Adjusting our thinking will radically change us, and then that change will help us to know God's will for us, which Paul says is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, in verse 3, he gets very 
painfully specific about our thoughts. One in particular that keeps us from serving. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. I heard that. Some of you, like, acknowledged that. It's, a, it's pointed. It stings a little bit, doesn't it? Don't think of yourselves as better than you really are. In fact, Paul says that in multiple letters in the New Testament that he writes. Galatians 6, he says the same idea to another church and puts it a little harsher. He says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You, you're just not that important. He says, so in light of that, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Don't, like, demean yourself. But don't get arrogant either. Be honest, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. To do this comprehensive self-evaluation, Paul says, and be honest. Are my priorities, are my choices, are they self-focused or are they others-focused? And don't use your spouse as a gauge to measure your progress by. Don't use your friends. Don't use anybody you listen to on the radio or TV. Don't use leaders in this church as a gauge. Paul says the gauge in how you're doing in this is what the Bible says, what faith tells us. To anchor this idea, Paul uses the human body to illustrate this point. He says... Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. A few years ago, I was doing some work. I have a wood shop in my garage. It's one of my hobbies that I rebooted during the pandemic. I have a wood shop in the garage, and on this particular occasion, I was redoing some trim around our garage door, and I got careless as I used a table saw. Not a great place to get careless. And I drug my index finger through the running blade on that table saw. I was really lucky to not lose that entire finger. (laughs) All I got was a perfectly shaped groove, one-eighth of an inch wide, right across the tip of this finger, about an inch long. The blade was sharp. Now, question here is, what did my body do in response to that cut on my hand. I saw some of you respond physically when I described that accident. My body responded physically as well. Did my right hand ignore my left hand because it had made a dumb decision? Did my liver attack my brain because my brain hadn't kept my hand clear of the blade and it let me get lazy in my work? No. In an instant... My entire body engaged to help my index finger on my left hand. My heart rate went up. My breathing went up because my first reaction without looking was, at least the end of that finger is gone. I mean, on the positive side, I could actually do, like, fractions with my hand. You know, I could now do nine and a half. (laughs) No lie, that went through my head in that moment. My right hand moved to shut the saw off to prevent more damage. My brain moved my feet away from the table saw and the damage. And when my brain was done feeding some ugly words to my mouth, 
in response to the pain, it focused my efforts on taking care of my wound. Every part of my body did exactly what was needed in that moment. Every part was needed. Every part mattered. Paul said, that's exactly how it's supposed to work in his body, the church. In his grace, God's given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I love that Paul points out every one of us has been given a special ability, a spiritual gift. You have been given at least one and usually more than one gift by God. A gift the Holy Spirit picked out for you, especially for you, as a part of Christ's body in this place, in this church. It's something you're good at. It's something, as you think about it now, you do it with relative ease, and you find a lot of joy and effectiveness in doing it. And if you don't use that gift, Paul says, the entire body misses out, and something necessary may not get done. Now, we have a ton of people around Westridge who have figured out their gifts over the years and serve faithfully. One of those is Jana, who has been a faithful volunteer for a long, long time at Westridge. goes back almost to the beginning of the church. And she has said yes twice to being the director of Westridge Kids, not as a paid staff member, but as a volunteer leading this large, critically important ministry in our church. And she's done it well for more than 10 years. I don't know the exact total, but I do know it's more than 10 years as a volunteer. We have people in our church like Rob and Joe and John who serve quietly behind the scenes. You guys don't really see them do what they do when they serve. They laugh and they have a great time and they set this room and the rest of the building up for all kinds of events and activities, weddings and funerals. They'll set up multiple times between now and Christmas for different ways this auditorium is used. They also invested a lot of time and a lot of brain juice and figuring out how to set up this auditorium a year ago when we came back to live services so that it would not just be socially distant, but it would also create an environment that's conducive to worship and relationships. There are tons of people every Sunday morning who make this service happen. Some of them serve behind the scenes with lights and video and live streaming and sound. Others are more prominent. There are people on the stage playing instruments, singing songs, leading us in worship. All over Westridge, we have volunteers who work hard, who put in all kinds of hours, and they love what they do. They find meaning, they find fulfillment, they find joy in serving, even when it's hard. And I'm so grateful for every one of you. Now, I truly believe that most people would be willing to step up and volunteer to serve and put their gifts to use if they knew that what they were going to do would be meaningful 
and enjoyable. What we often lack is a simple way to figure that out, to navigate our church and figure out what's the right place for me, given how God's wired me. And with the time that remains this morning, I just want to walk us through a really simple tool that can help us take first steps towards rebooting our serve. Now, I'm not going to walk through a list of the spiritual gifts. Depending on what list you read, there's 25 to 40 spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. And if you want to dig into that, then I'd suggest you start by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. It is the single passage in the New Testament, the single longest passage that really unpacks what our gifts are and how they work. Or if, ladies, if you're interested in this, Women of Westridge is going to be doing a series beginning November 1st called Defining You, and it literally is about figuring out how God has gifted you and the passions that he's given you. So we're not going to walk through the gifts, but what I am going to give you this morning is a very simple tool that I think can help you figure out your personal style, how God's created you. Have you ever volunteered somewhere and you went in with high hopes, but after you were in it for not too long, you started to realize, this really isn't a good fit. But you committed, right? And you felt that commitment. And so you trudged through month after month after month. It could be in the church, it could be in an organization outside of the church, but you just knew that you had to keep going. Some of us have this weird, twisted theology in in our heads that says, if I'm not suffering, I'm not serving, right? We don't allow ourselves to believe that what we do can bring life and joy and resilience and be fulfilling in serving. When we feel like we're stuck and it's just not right, often it's not about our giftedness, it's about our personal style. So I want us to walk through this graphic. It's the first time I've seen it. I appreciate Danielle making this. It's a really simple graphic. And it has two different axes that we're going to talk about. We're going to walk through this, and I hope you can find it later and keep thinking about this. It's in the Westridge app in the notes section from this talk today. This tool focuses on two key questions in our life. How are you energized? And how are you organized? So let's look first at how are you energized. On one end of the spectrum, there are people who are energized by doing a task. You really like to accomplish something. You're not antisocial, but you want to work with people who are equally committed to the task. The biggest indicator is you get frustrated when relational activity gets in the way of getting the job done, right? That strike a chord with any of you? Yeah. Thanks. Jay, I saw that hand. Um, At the other end of the spectrum are people who are people-oriented. You're energized by relationships, by interactions with other people. You prefer working in a team setting, and you get frustrated when you're given a task that you have to accomplish all by yourself. That's not fulfilling. How many of you would say you're more people-oriented? Now, you don't have to be to extremes on either one of these. You could be just a little over the line. What you can't be is dead center. The Bible teaches that the church only gets one person like that, and it's me. So you don't get to do it. That's absolutely none of that is true. 
You're going to be all over this. What you're going to end up with is a dot that places somewhere in one of the four quadrants, maybe to one extreme or the other, or kind of balanced out. All right? Second part of the grid is the line between unstructured and structured. This line <laughs> reflects how you prefer to organize your world. Structured people put things in files. Unstructured people put things in piles. Unstructured people are less concerned about precision in the task. They prefer a variety of activities, and they're super comfortable walking into an undefined situation. They love spontaneity in the work and in the relationships. How many of you would say you fit here unstructured? Okay, the one caution I will give you is those of you who are unstructured really tick off the rest of us who are structured. Right? Yes, and most of you who just let out a Yelp are married, and I'm assuming structured people hear unstructured as a synonym for disorganized. Structured people are the Marie Kondos of the world, right? They bring order into every aspect of their life. They prefer stable, consistent relationships as opposed to the chaos of new ones. They're far more detailed, and they like things really clearly clarified. How many of you would say you're structured? Yeah? You are my people. Now, again, both groups value being organized, structured and unstructured. Both groups value relationships, people, and tasks. But each one has a different approach because a different thing energizes them about what they're doing and who they're doing it with. I want to offer you two cautions with this simple grid. The first tendency is this. We tend to look at our placement in this grid as the correct placement for everyone. Right? We tend to feel like our personal style is the only way, or at least the best way, to live. It's not. We serve a very creative God. You can't miss that when you see the variety of things blooming throughout the year in Chicago. Both months that things bloom. Um, you can't miss it when you look at the tapestry that he's painting on the landscape this time of year with the color in the trees. We serve a creative God. And his creation extends into us as human beings. Each one of us is uniquely created and wired just as God the second question I'll give you is this. We don't get to use our personal style as a justification for bad behavior. We don't get to snap at people and then offer the excuse, well, you know, I'm just task-oriented and I'm not good at relationships. Our personal style doesn't excuse us from meeting deadlines and fulfilling responsibilities. So how does it really help us figure out where to plug in? Let me give you three things you can do this morning to help figure that out. First, we're offering a ministry fair in the lobby. There literally are four tables set up in the lobby. And ministries are represented there. We're focusing this morning around uh, ministries that primarily go or uh, rotate around this Sunday in your week. So it could be Sunday morning, Sunday night that stuff happens. But they're Sunday serve opportunities. There are people out there, and we're going to do these, we'll probably do three to four of these between now and the end of January, just to help us figure out what the opportunities are to serve around Westridge. 
There are four tables in the lobby, and there will be people at those tables just simply to talk with you. I promise you, they are not going to hound you like a carnival barker to get you to sign up for something today. They are happy to help you, even if your questions don't relate to their ministry. What I would encourage you to do is to figure out kind of a quick assessment of where you are in your personal style. And then choose a ministry or two to just stop and talk to somebody, to start investigating. And I would encourage you not to opt out of any possibilities in advance because you might think, gosh, I'm a task-structured person. I'm not sure how that ministry could use me. Every ministry has places you can serve no matter where you are in this personal style grid. Find an area of ministry. Match it up with your personal style and take it for a test drive before you buy the car. And if you don't have time to do that this morning, we've got flyers printed up. They're on the counter on your left as you go out. They're also at the tables with the ministries that just simply give you more detail and who to contact in each one of these areas that operate around Sunday services. So let me wrap this up. Paul, in fact, wraps up this idea of serving in Romans 12 with verse 9. And he ends with this encouragement. Don't just just pretend to love others. Really love them. Really loving others comes down to daily deliberate choices that we make to set aside our agenda, to set aside our priorities and serve them. Loving others is setting aside my plans to help someone, to simply sit and talk with them and offer encouragement. encourage you this morning to dig in. Do the work to figure out how God's gifted you and wired you. And take the next step of exploring a meaningful place of service. Would you pray with me? God, in our haste to be done with this pandemic and return to whatever normal is, I pray that every one of us will seize the opportunity we have to learn from this time. I pray, God, you would open our eyes to see how much you've given us, how much you've blessed us, and to fill us with a sense of gratitude, a gratitude that will move us to serve others. By your Holy Spirit, God, I pray you would create a restlessness in us that won't go away until we figure out how you've uniquely created us how you desire us to use our gifts and our abilities for the good of others. God, help us to use our lives, to use our faith to make a difference in the greatest needs in this world today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.